Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, warns that African swine fever must be kept out of Ireland. Fellow O'Neill, International Market Specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal, speaking from Brussels, warns about a potential Mercosur deal on the way. But our top story, the ICMSA National President, Mr Pat McCormack, warns that not a cent of the beef aid package is to go to feedlots or factories, and he believes it should be distributed long before the promised autumn date announced by Minister Michael Creed. Well, you know, the first thing there, John, and I know you mentioned that it may be autumn. It's absolutely imperative that that aid package is paid out in the month of June. Um, you know, farmers right across uh, the country, irrespective of whether they were weaning producers, calf producers, year and a half, or finished cattle, uh, they've suffered significantly over the past eight to nine months. And it's absolutely imperative that that money is paid out immediately prior to any department personnel uh, summer holidays rather than waiting for them to come back. I suppose the other critical component of John is, you know, that his, and we do welcome the, the, the 100 million euro commitment, uh, 50 million coming from Europe and, and the re- remaining 50 million coming from the National Exchequer. Uh, we hope that very much demand that that will be honoured uh, in the coming weeks and that the 100 million will be made available to pay out Irish farmers. Uh, because I suppose we've had unprecedented hardship uh, from the point of view of uncertainty. Uh, with Brexit. And, you know, that lingers on. At this point in time, we would say 100 million would cover us uh, to now. But certainly, you know, I suppose the paying out of that 100 million is critical and how the cake is cut. Uh, it's absolutely imperative, John, that it's for farmers. We represent family farms. We want to see it go to farmers, not to feedlots or factories or various agencies that are supplying cattle to, to those abattoirs. It's absolutely imperative that it comes out to the family farm structure uh, who are trying to make a living to, to, and stay on the ground. Uh, that is absolutely fundamental in our demand because, you know, all too often we've seen various different stakeholders in the industry uh, put themselves in a position where they can benefit. You know, we saw 18,000 cattle slaughtered 
out of feedlots, uh, factory feedlots, factory controlled feedlots last January and February, and you know those cattle should be exempt. It's the family farm and the farm, the the, the individual farmer structure that needs to be supported in this country. It's on those very, very, very um, guidelines that Borbia and various other agencies promote Irish agriculture and Irish beef abroad. You might confirm why you feel the money shouldn't go to only cattle finishers. Well, you know, when we say that it shouldn't go to only cattle finishers, uh, by all means, cattle finishers have suffered have suffered over the last period of time. But as I said earlier, so too have our yearling weaning producers off the sucker herd, our yearling producers and our year and a half producers. Every animal that's in the ringside is worth significantly less than it was 12 months ago. And, you know, when you take it that 12 months ago, we, we were coming out of a real fodder crisis and heading in possibly to the unknown drought that we, at that point in time. But certainly if you were to take the figures comparable to 2017, there'd be a significant reduction uh, on the 2019 figures. And, you know, none more so than the calf. It goes right back to the primary producer, John. And we have a, a wonderful movement system in this country, the AM system, that can detect animals sold at any given time. And, you know, that needs to be used and fully utilised uh, in order to pay, compensate every farmer who has suffered a loss as a result of Brexit and the uncertainty in the beef industry. You would agree that suckler farmers, they should be recognised for the greater welfare of the way they produce this high quality meat and often they feel it's a shame that it would be lumped in as a commodity with uh, run-of-the-mill beef. We need to market and promote our suckler beef out there and we need to be sure that it can deliver a premium from the marketplace rather than having other sectors of the beef uh, chain support uh, funding a premium. It needs to be a premium derived from the marketplace. I think, John, at this point in time with climate change and all that goes with it, there's a whole education process that needs to begin urgently uh, for the the ultimate consumer because, you know, for years, farmers have increased standards, whether it's animal welfare, animal husbandry, animal medicines, and suffered a lot jumping through hoops and loops uh, to try and remain compliant. But, you know, with climate change on its horizon, it's absolutely imperative that the consumer becomes aware that we need financial support, that there needs to be a viable uh, market there for our produce, and that it is unique in that it's vast majority produced off pasture, uh, where cattle roam the land for nine and ten months of the year, uh, and they're, you know, herded by one, two, and maybe three generations of a family. So it's absolutely imperative that that structure and quality and traceability is maintained, but it's coming at a cost, and at this point in time, the cost is being borne by the primary producer, and it's time that the consumer shared in that cost. And that's an education piece that needs to happen in the coming months. And, you know, we're having this discussion and in the background is the Mercosur deal and the potential for that to close out. If that was to close out, to be absolutely uh, a bee in the face, I won't even call it a fly in the face of, of any climate action that will be happening within Europe. Uh, because obviously you'd be bringing in beef from other third countries uh, that wouldn't be produced to near the standards and not nearly as efficiently produced from a climatic point of view as Irish beef. Thank you very much for taking our call, Mr Pat McCormack, National President, ICMSA. Thank you very much. In this week's Irish Farmers Journal, page 21 in the Agribusiness section, Saturday 25th of May 2019, 
international market specialist with the journal, Thelma O'Neill, warns that Marcuse is back on the agenda and elsewhere in the journal, a red alert is sounded on Marcuse. I spoke to Thelma O'Neill on the line from Brussels to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme. Hello again, John. Yes, uh, this is something that you and I have talked about in the past, uh, but we haven't been talking about for some time. I suppose we've been obsessed uh, with Brexit uh, over recent weeks and months, uh, and I've no doubt that that's going to return again too, uh, given the now departure of the Prime Minister. Uh, but uh, Mercosur is an issue, and I suppose we should remember this is a trade negotiation that's been ongoing and stops and starts for upwards of 20 years now. In fact, it will be 20 years this year. Um, We came very close to a deal uh, back at the end of 2017, uh, but it basically broke down at that stage, uh, largely because uh, the South American countries weren't meeting uh, European expectations on access for cars uh, and for dairy products. Uh, Now then, I suppose uh, negotiators had been talking behind the scenes as they have been on and off for all of that 20 years. Uh, And just then, uh, the week before last, uh, it came back on the scene, really coming out of South America very much, uh, that they were keen to get a deal done. Um, Something I suppose we should remember, we we use the term Mercosur, we're referring to the group of South American countries that's made up of Brazil, Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, and uh, now uh, suspended Venezuela. Uh, they're they the major uh, agricultural exporting countries of the world, like three quarters of the beef that comes into the European Union at the moment, with tariff paid, would actually come from uh, those countries. So uh, that's something that does represent a fairly major threat. Uh, the commissioner denied it. It was put to Commissioner Hogan, and he felt that the, look, you know, there's been many a time that these talks have been close to conclusion and it hasn't happened. Uh, But I think uh, from the inquiries that we have made in Brussels over the past week or 10 days, it is certainly clear that there's now momentum uh, building again behind the talks now. Whether that leads to a conclusion of a deal or not, uh, I suppose only time will tell. But we certainly feel that it was appropriate that we uh, brought it to the attention of Irish farmers through the pages of the journal this week. And, Phelan, not to be unduly cynical, but could the €50 million which the EU Commission has yet to give vis-à-vis the beef aid package, could it be that might be something of a shock absorber, knowing that there are concerns now about Mercosur, a red alert regarding Mercosur in Brazil recently, President Bolsonaro and his whole idea of forests, clear the forests for beef production or full development, mining, etc. And the native indigenous people, well, go to the cities and find work there. Looking at it with a very cold eye, the beef package, that shouldn't divert our attention from the underlying threat of Mercosur. Uh, that's true, John, and, and that was a very perceptive point you made. You weren't the first one to raise it with me, you know, was this a kind of the, the good news to prepare Irish farmers for the bad? Um, I think there's no doubt uh, that uh, I suppose both our own minister, Michael Creed, and the Agriculture Commissioner, Phil Hogan, uh, that they have a genuine insight and understanding of the position of Irish beef farmers. And I know uh, the minister would have sat through the entire proceedings at our beef summit up in Ballina uh, Snow uh, just uh, uh, over a week ago. Uh, and I know that again, and he wrote at the pages of the journal subsequently, you know, uh, it, it was a tough meeting that. 
but he was there for the duration of it in fairness to him and he took on board and listened to an awful lot of the frustrations that were uh, to all of the frustrations that were expressed on the evening so I think this, uh, that we would have to accept the genuine intention of both the Minister uh, and the Agriculture Commissioner in recognising the current difficulties of Irish beef producers uh, and the payment that's been made in respect of that uh, but look I suppose the, the Mercosur discussion, it's a separate issue, but it's a kind of parallel to, I suppose, the success or, or otherwise or failure of Irish beef producers because, um, you know, the reality of life is they, they do enjoy production conditions that are extremely favourable relative to us. They have a year-round growing season, a tropical, uh, subtropical climate, which is extremely productive in its own right. Uh, I think it is ge- generally accepted uh, that they will have a much more relaxed, I suppose, would be the diplomatic word to use, uh, approach to both environmental uh, and indeed welfare controls. So therefore, their cost of production will be lower in that respect as well. And they do have the opportunity of using growth-promoting hormones if they choose to do so. Now, all of those things will place them in a much more advantageous production position than Irish or indeed other uh, European Union farmers. Uh, They do send between uh, Argentina, Uruguay and Brazil, they would send about 300,000 tonnes of beef to Europe each year. Now, in terms of levels of access, there was a 70,000 tonne beef quota, tariff-free beef quota, or perhaps on a reducing basis uh, leading towards either a low tariff or a zero tariff. Uh, had been uh, suggested. There was speculation uh, that that figure could actually increase to 100,000 tonne or 99,000 tonne in the event of a deal. So I I suppose if you look at increasing the level of uh, imports from South America by 25 or 30 percent, that's really going to displace native production or at the very least devalue native EU production. And given Ireland's Ireland's position as a major exporter uh, to the other EU countries, including the UK at the moment, which may or may not be there in the longer term, uh, then you can immediately see the threat that this represents to Irish beef farmers. You know, uh, it's probably second only to Brexit in terms of threat uh, to the to the economic viability of our beef sector uh, in the years ahead. And uh, I think, I suppose, it's something, and again, the farm organisations will be making this point very forcefully. You know, given the uncertainty and the threat that hangs over uh, Irish and indeed the wider EU beef sector with the possibility of Brexit coming down the track at us uh, by the end of October, then, uh, you know, it is not time to really be uh, given wider access to that European market because, uh, you know, if it does collapse the price, you know, when the European Union and fairness and the, and the Brexit fund is a demonstration of that, they do have and will put market support measures in to deal with crisis situations. But if that has to be done arising from a trade deal that's been signed off with Mercosur, well, then you have a situation where there's going to be a big demand and a big drain on wider EU resources to support a beef sector. It will be a much more cheaper, economically viable operation to maintain the status quo in terms of level of import access, at the very least until the time when the UK Brexit position becomes clear. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Phelan, for taking our call at a very short notice. But we had been hearing a lot of talk about a red alert on Mercosur. Phelan, thank you very much indeed. Not at all. Thank you, John. 
Minister for Agriculture Michael Creed has warned that the African swine fever virus can survive for months in pork and pork products, including cured meats such as ham and salami. The minister is urging Irish people and visitors to Ireland not to take the risk of bringing meat products into Ireland from affected countries. Don't bring back your sandwich. Don't bring back your salami. The minister spoke to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme about the threat. We have uh, hundreds of millions of euro worth of exports in the pork side. And uh, one of the reasons why those markets are open to us uh, is because we're African swine fever free. And we need to make sure, notwithstanding the fact that in a way it's a minority activity amongst farmers, there are about 300 commercial piggeries, maybe about 400 registered all, all together with the department, including people who might keep a pig or two in their back garden. But African swine fever is sweeping through eastern and central and indeed has landed in Belgium in Western Europe. Apart from that, it's you know rampant now in, in China, uh, Vietnam and other Asian countries. So we've had some opportunities arising from that misfortune of others, but it's predicated on we maintaining our African swine fever free status. And that's a responsibility for everybody. Um, I mean... You know, people who go on holidays abroad and might bring a sandwich home in their backpack, that kind of stuff, and how they dispose of that uh, is a real risk. People who go on holidays, and these might be a minority on hunting holidays, not taking all the necessary disinfection steps, they're a risk. We need to create awareness at a heightened level. We've been working with the industry, obviously, and people employed directly in it. But also the broader uh, population need to be aware of this and, and how... Uh, inadvertent steps could lead to a potentially very, very difficult market situation for us. Minister, there was a great welcome for the 100 million euro beef compo fund linked to the problems of Brexit and how the farmers have estimated, the IFA and other organisations have estimated that 100 million had been lost. But when will this, when can we say for sure uh, this beef compensation fund will start to be distributed? Well, as, as soon as practically possible. Uh, what we have to do now is get the terms and conditions first from the Commission, and we haven't got that yet as we're speaking. We then will go into consultation with the farm organisations about how uh, to design a scheme. Uh, we'll do that subsequently and invite applications and pay thereafter as quickly as possible. Certainly in 2019, and my ambition is at the earliest possible date, um, I think it's important to say, John, because Brexit is back mainstream on the agenda now as, with result of Theresa May's decision to resign and a new Tory party leader and European elections and Farage and all of that. Brexit is certainly back and the potential of a hard Brexit is back on the agenda. So I think it's important to say what we've got is not a Brexit package. That may well have to come yet uh, should the UK crash out. This is in response to particular market difficulties as provided for under the CMO regulations in Europe. Um, I do hope that we can avoid a hard Brexit, that we will have approval of the withdrawal agreement, a transition period, and a time within which we negotiate a future, a comprehensive trading relationship with the UK. Uh, but Brexit hasn't gone away. I think that's the, the takeaway from the announcement by Theresa May, the rise of Farage in the UK. This is really worrying times now. The implications for CAP of the Brexit situation and the ongoing uncertainty in the UK, are you confident that 
our MEPs and the Irish government and those countries friendly to us will in fact ensure that cap the budget is maintained or even increased because we have the prospect of the UK at the very minimum withdrawing their contribution but at the same time we will be needing more money to keep our farmers on the land, family farms in particular. Well, this is a critically important issue. The UK is a net contributor, like ourselves, to the EU. In other words, they put in more than they get out. They're leaving, and their £10 billion plus contribution is a significant blow to the European Union budget, and 40% of that to cap. So you can do the maths yourself in terms of the significant challenge we face. Um, the EU operates on the basis that it can only spend what money member states give it to spend. It doesn't run a deficit. So it's a particularly challenging time now for the cap post-2020. Uh, we're in these negotiations at the moment, but the biggest challenge we face, and you'll hear all about the ambition about climate and biodiversity and generational renewal, etc. The biggest challenge we face is having an adequate budget. We have stated very clearly as a government we are prepared to pay more as a country into the European Union budget, provided that money goes to supporting projects that are important, like the Common Agricultural Policy, the Common Fisheries Policy. Um, and we've been building alliances in that regard. But bear in mind, EU budgets have to be agreed by unanimity. In other words, every member state has to be in agreement. And at the moment, the critique of the Commission's proposals on agriculture, for example, by some have been that the cuts haven't gone far enough. Now, our position is we would hope to maintain the budget, except others would say that's lacking in ambition, that we should be looking to increase it. But there is no political prospect of an increased budget. What we are looking for is to hold what we have. Um, and there are others, namely, in particular, the Dutch, the Danes, the Austrians, the Swedes, who are saying it hasn't gone far enough. The cuts need to be deeper. These, as they stand, would be very significant cuts for us. So we're doing our best to find a situation where we can get uh, an agreed maintenance of the current budget. But the cap budget, that is something which the Irish government and our MEPs will be watching very, very carefully and making sure there aren't uh, cuts which we just can't accept. So I suppose cap, as you've said, cap... Common agricultural policy is fully understood. The importance of this to the entire rural fabric in Ireland. In we will need, uh, and you talk about the European elections, um, we will need a Team Ireland approach because the Parliament is a co decision maker. And we have a mixed bag of uh, EU representatives, but I think it's important that those who are aligned to the major groups are supportive of the cap budget. Others are not so much. Could we look at the situation regarding trying to substitute in some way? We'll never fully substitute for our next-door market in the UK for beef and our agri-produce, but you have been going around the globe, around and around the globe, trying to open up new markets. Now, China and Japan, there are two positive developments there, markets in China and Japan, and I believe there's very good news as we speak. Well, look, I mean, the, the Chinese market opened to us in 2018. Uh, by the time product got flowing in 2018, uh, I think it was less than 3 million euros in value to us. But bear in mind two things. Consumption per capita in China is about less than 4 kilos per head. In Ireland, it's about 20 kilos per head of beef. 
African swine fever has been to their staple, which is, the staple of the diet in China would be rice and pork. Because of African swine fever in China, their pig herd is down by about 20%. So there will be a benefit for our pork exports into the Chinese market. And you've seen that in recent days in terms of returns to primary producers. They're up significantly. But it is expected there will be a spillover into other meats as well, particularly red meats and beef. So we do expect the Chinese market to perform significantly well uh, in 2019 in terms of volume and value. But we're growing from a very low base. Equally, in terms of Japan, we've opened, you know, Europe has signed an economic partnership agreement with Japan, and we have beef access there. And we see significant opportunities there. I'm going there on a trade mission uh, in June uh, to Japan and Korea. We haven't got access for beef yet to Korea, but the industry recognizes kind of the Asian market in particular as being a significant uh, growth opportunity for us. And we're putting a lot of resources into it at a department level, but also in Bordia and working with the industry. For example, when I was in China recently, I met with the Dairy Gold delegation on the ground. Dairy Gold have feet on the street in the Chinese market at the moment. I also met with the Carberry Group, with the Kerry Group, uh, with many of the meat plants who are selling their our product there as well. So this is a collaborative endeavor informed by the industry um, and you know, a lot of good work being carried out. Should we work towards developing a brand, an internationally recognised quality brand for beef, as we have with Dairy Gold or Kerry Gold? I know there have been some moves there, but do you feel that's something which we could develop very much to the advantage of uh, opening up and securing brand new markets or reinforcing our existing markets? Well, I think that's challenging. Um the, the dairy industry is, of course, entirely different in, the ter- in terms of same products like uh, Kerrygold, which is you know, a billion euro uh, brand product now on 2018 sales, which is quite staggering in terms of the achievements for the dairy industry. The, the meat industry is structured in a different way, but I don't think we should give up on that ambition. Uh, if, if it serves the interest of the industry, that's something we should look at. And again, you have recently announced that between the Irish and Chinese dairy sectors, there's been a plan to develop a strategic commercial partnership, and there are opportunities there for Irish dairy exports. Well, look, when, when we were in, in uh, China, um, I sat at round tables with two of the, the biggest uh, dairy companies in China, Yili and Mingyu. And both of those are multi-billion euro turnovers per annum, quoted on the stock exchange, etc. Et and they have strategic relationships with some of our key dairy processors here, including Danone. But in the room were our, you know, the Dairy Golds and uh, the Kerry Group, uh, you know, Glanbia, etc. So we're looking to kind of deepen the engagement now in, in the Chinese market, look at joint venture opportunities, how we might... Uh, with our technologies, uh, work in partnership with the, with the Chinese industry. And I, I think, you know, over the years, we're, we're deepening that relationship now at every level, at a diplomatic level, at a technical level from officials in my department. We will be bringing Chinese officials over to, to uh, the Department of Agriculture in September, showing, and this is something that has been happening for a number of years, showing to them how our systems work, um, and that relationship is also replicated at a business-to-business level. So 
Tagus signed a memorandum of understanding. We were over there with Fujian University. So we're deepening the engagement at every level. And that's how we build on the, you know, the market opportunities that are there also. Now, the farm organisations, they've been upset about uh, prices for lamb and they've been trying to get some kind of recognition for the quality lamb and get a good price for it. But on another aspect, you have good news for sheep people in general. Well, I mean, we we, we have literally in, in the last few days started the payment of the second, the balancing payment of the sheep welfare scheme for 2019 uh, those checks will be arriving. And they're not, you know, uh, it's not an enormous amount of money, but it's still significant for a sector that is a low-income sector generally. But the other things which we're doing, in fact, when we were in China, was looking for sheep meat access to the Chinese market. And we will have a technical visit from Chinese officials in August looking at our production systems uh, and indeed looking at other beef plants to be approved uh, for exporting to the Chinese market. Uh, we also have, in fact, coming in June, a visit from the U.S. technical teams looking at our sheep meat uh, because we're looking for sheep meat access there also. So the more markets we have access to gives us a capacity to deliver the best results to the primary producer. And that's key to kind of everything we do on trade missions. And in an IFA statement, they said they had uh, received an assurance from you that you would be looking into their complaints about uh, the charges at factories and the situation that you would try and uh, find out um, what could be done, the IFA and other organisations, the National Hill Farmers Association, with regards as a fair price. So you are keeping an eye on the well, issues. I always, I always, John, engage with the, with, the, with the meat industry, and I always make the point to them, whether it's beef or sheep meat or indeed in the pork sector, that there is a relationship here uh, between primary producers and processors which is at the heart of the industry. And that relationship needs to be on a, a good footing. There needs to be understanding of respective positions. And, you know, the, the meat industry, I think, needs to engage in a more meaningful way with their supplier clients, their farmer base, uh, so that the, the chasm that exists now which serves nobody um, and, and, and builds mistrust uh, should be, should be uh, addressed. And I think that's, that's a point that I would make to the industry. On the issue of charges, and I would hasten to add, these are not statutory or state charges. Um, I, I do accept that in, in the context of an enterprise, particularly in the sheep side, where returns are, are, are low, uh, all of these charges impact on the bottom line. And I, in the course of the conversation, which I generally have with the meat industry, these are points that I'll be taking up with them. You feel it's very important to emphasise the role of agriculture, the positive role of agriculture in retaining biodiversity. Nobody, probably more than farmers, understands climate change. I mean, we've just come through a 12-month period where, you know, in the early part of 2018, we had extreme weather events, and in the latter part, we had extreme drought. So farmers are living with the reality of climate change. And part of the response to a challenging issue, complex as it is, is ensuring water quality and biodiversity. Now, if you look at our rural development program, we're spending, I think, in the region of 1.4 billion euros on various schemes to promote sustainability, biodiversity, GLOSS, which is a green, low-carbon agricultural scheme, wild bird cover, uh, all of these are part of our response. 
So the future direction of the common agricultural policy, of our food-wise strategy, the demands of the market, are all leading us in the same direction. And I think farmers know that. Uh, Farmers are custodians of the land and of the environment, and they know very well that these are issues that we have to respond to for good reason, because it will deliver for farmers, but it will also deliver for the, you know, for the environment and climate and future generations. So it's, it's a coming together of a number of imperatives that will, I think, enable us to meet this. Farming is crucial to environmental management, to feeding the population of the world, and to doing it in a sustainable way, and I think farmers are up for that. Minister, just before we go to go back briefly to our first topic, the beef aid package. Can you understand the ICMSA and the IFA and other organisations when they would um, say not a cent of this 100 million euro to go to feedlots? They want it for the farmers, for the producers, for the people who have been hit badly by pre-Brexit price cuts. I can't be more clear than saying this is for farmers. This is not for factories. And that will be informing any decision I make regarding a scheme, and I will be consulting with farmers on how best to distribute that fund. It is not for factories. Thank you very much indeed for spending so much of your valuable time. Minister for Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Minister Michael Cree, TD. Thank you, Minister, very much. Thank you, John. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are joined on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme by Mr Neely O'Sullivan, Chagask Dairy Advisor with the office in Canturk. First of all, Neely, welcome to the programme. Now, turning to grazing, what are the best uh, practice uh, grazing management tips you can offer to our listeners? Hi, John. Thanks for having me. At the moment, we're in the peak, we're in the peak grass growing season. It's very important for each and every farmer out there to, to, to get out and, and maybe try and keep try and keep as much quality grass in front of the cows as they can. Grass growth at the moment, if we look at the, the average pasture base figures there is coming in at around sixty five kilos of dry matter a day. So ideally an eighteen to twenty one day rotation should suffice here. With grass, as we are in the midsummer season, grass growth grass growth can take off and grass growth at the moment is coming in a pasture base at sixty five kilos of dry matter a day. So Ideally, an 18 to 21 day rotation should suffice. Um, what we would, try, we would try to encourage farmers to do is try and get out and walk the paddocks every four to five days just to assess what's going on in these paddocks and to make decisions based on these. Ideal pre-grazing yield at, at this time of the year should be around the 1,400 kilos of dry matter per hectare or what I like to call good grass but not strong. In terms of grazing management, what we would try and advocate farmers to do if possible at all it would be to try and allocate 36 hour grazing breaks to the cows 
this is beneficial for, for number one, the high performers in the herd, and number two, maybe the younger animals, the more shyer animals in the herd. If you take, for example, a herd doing 27 litres a day, chances are cows in the herd, cows in the herd are doing up to 35 litres. So by moving to 36 hour breaks, this, this gives the cows a, a chance to, for, to ensure full intake. And the same with, with, with the more younger, shyer animals, a 36 hour break will, will, will achieve um, full intakes with these two. Farmers often said that when they when they find that when they do move to thirty six hour allocation of grazing, that they do find that the protein the protein percentage increases. Looking ahead, maybe towards the next six weeks for farmers, the big challenge for those is to try and keep the protein levels as high as possible by putting quality grass in front of the cow. The challenge here is as growth increases over the next six weeks and more stem starts coming into the plant is to, to keep grass at the best possible quality at all times. The main challenge here is to, to, to try and keep the protein levels as high as possible. So maybe watch the text from your milk supplier and just monitor the protein levels over the next six weeks. The aim would be to keep the proteins as high as possible or at very least keep the protein levels the same going forward. And you have a comment then on uh, strong, uh, strong paddocks? I suppose uh, ideally when farmers start should, should, should walk the paddock just to gain an idea of what's happening. Any strong paddocks that are over the 1,400 kilos of dry matter, for example, should be, should be skipped and maybe taken out as bales. Now, there is an issue with grazing these heavier covers. Digestibility is lower in these covers due to a higher stem, a higher stem content. So as a consequence, of this, this, this would affect performance. Ideally, cows should be grazing down to about 4 centimetres, and by not grazing down tight, this could have an effect in three weeks' time when the cows come back to graze it. And I suppose what I would try and encourage farmers that if paddocks are gone strong, try try and take out those paddocks as soon as possible in the form of bale silage. And if people are concerned about not taking out paddocks and not having enough grass, if they can count out 10 to 12 days grazing in front of the cows, they will be okay. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Neely O'Sullivan, Chagask Dairy Advisor with the Chagask Office in Canterac. Thanks, Neely, very much indeed. Thank you, John. Joining us, Mr. Dermot Kelleher, ICSA Munster Vice President. Dermot, welcome to the programme. Now, the beef aid package, the 100 million euro package, how do you believe that should be spread out, divided? They've been killing the cattle in the factory. They're down 200 ahead. They probably are, but they got, they got it off the left when they, were, when they were buying. They, they, they got it off of us. The factory are out. They can all pass, pass on their, 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 their loss. But we can't pass it on to the, to the coal. Like, we're the last in the tree, and it is we as cut for everything. And weanlings are back. Weanlings are back 30, 40 cents a kilo, which is in a 300 kilo animal is in excess of 100 euro. In a 400 kilo animal is nearly 150 euro. And we've been, that, we've been back that kind of money, and over, more than that kind of money, since 17, 18, and, nine, and, and now 19. And if half the, that money don't go to the, the, the sector, the sector this whole country is a joke. I mean, the beef men lost money, but we we lost money. We lost money first. And there's another thing, John. There's no point in talking about you bought cattle edition of sort of in two years' time because if it's at all me, when you sell cattle in September and you, you buy cattle in October, that's where the difference is. And if the factory is down when they are selling, as long as the master's down the week after, they are still in, in, in business. But the lad is going to the map with the way, and he says he's getting punished all, all, all the time. So in fairness, the sucker sector will have to get a good shot at that, at that money, because we're, 
we're the proudest always in trouble, and we're the last man in, in the, the chain. We can't pass our, our loss back to anybody, John. Remind our listeners the unique features of a suckler cow operation. But you take a suckler farmer, just grass-fed beef, the, the calves are left with the cows, they wean nat- naturally. It's, bet- it's more animal-friendly, it's better for the env- environment, it's better everywhere. I mean, suckler beef is almost organic. I mean, you, the other beef they're talking about is a, a, a byproduct of the, the dairy industry. That's okay. There's nothing, nothing, nothing wrong, wrong, wrong with it. But to put a kilo on a, free, on a freezing animal takes about seven times more feeding to put, than to put a kilo of beef on a, on a beef animal. I mean, you don't have to be like a scientist to know that it's way more efficient, carbon-wise and everything else, to, to look after this sucker herd. The image we base our origin green credentials on is that a cow grazing with her calf yes, of in course, John. the meadow. Yes, of course, John. And the funny thing, when the Chinese come or they bring the Turkish fellas, when they bring all these fellas into this country to see, to promote Irish beef, they take them to soccer for So, Dermot, regarding the candidates and the closing date for entries for your elections, the ICSA elections... So and to tell you, John, the three candidates are Hugh Farrell from Cavan. There is um, Edmund Feeden, big field minister in Waterford. And the third candidate, John, is myself, the poor lad here from West Cork. So God be good. We'll do the best we can. And it'll be on 27th of June at a venue, probably Port Leisha, but people to keep in touch. Our president resigned because... He'd done a couple of months to do, but his time was nearly up anyway. But um, he was picked by Wallace in Waterford or in Wexford. Or he's from that country to, as a substitute for Europe or something, and he couldn't take both jobs. So he he went with, with, with Wallace and he resigned his place in, as president of ICSA. Thank you very much, Dermot. Thanks so much, John. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. A very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Next Farm Talk, scheduled for 10pm Wednesday. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. 
Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. So you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.